Good morning, everyone. It's great to have you in the house of the Lord as we continue our Mark series. Last week, we uh, ended with our guy still in the middle of the rock, in the mediocris, or the middle of a jagged mountain, the Latin root word for the word mediocre. It's where we get the term. And, and honestly, when we start out in life and we get going, you're not gonna ask too many middle schoolers, what do you wanna do when you grow up? And they say, I wanna be mediocre. That's not usually what kind of answer you're gonna get. Maybe you've advanced a little bit into life and you're like, I'd be happy with mediocre because I've been like struggling or, or whatever. Yeah, but, but no, you wanna, you wanna keep climbing. And our climber, he said the right things. He said he trusted the belayer, he said he believed he could get to the top with their help, but his behavior didn't match what he said he believed. And we asked ourselves that on a spiritual level. Does our prayer life, does our current actions, are the steps we're taking matching what we believe? Or does our behavior, despite the fact we say we trust God, are we behaving like we don't? Are we praying like we don't? And so we're challenging this climber to keep climbing, take that step of faith, take that dynamic move, if you will, and head up the mountain. Because what's at the top of the mountain? The pinnacle. The word means peak or top of the gable. He could see everything out there. It's, it's vast. It's the apex, and if you've ever climbed a mountain, whether it be a, a spiritual goal, or a business goal, or a personal goal, or a diet goal, whatever it is, when you reach that spot, there's, a, there's an encouragement that you've gotten to the top, but have you ever found that often the Lord has another mountain for us right after there that you didn't see? You're like, oh, oh, we got another one to go up here. I thought this was the top. It's nothing like being on the pinnacle, right? I mean, in middle school, you play games like King of the Mountain, where you push people off to, to at least they played that when I was back in the 1900s, they played that game. But, but you, you pushed them off to say, I'm the King of the Mountain. But, but there's some problems up at the pinnacle. Have you ever wonder, wondered why it, it seems when, when people seem to get to the apex of maybe it's their uh, vocation or their career, when they reach the pinnacle, they often struggle up there? You ever hear the phrase that uh, when you're at the pinnacle, there's nowhere to go but down? Why is that? Well, there's something that happens when you reach the apex of something. And it's this thing called a spotlight. It finds you. And, and spotlights can do one of two things. It can expose wonderful, awesome, great Credible opportunities and visions and experiences, but it also can expose character and struggles and difficulties. It seems when it comes to the spotlight, there's a dynamic there. There's a characteristics that it can either have a domino effect for the good or it can have a domino effect for the bad. You know what a domino effect is, right? A domino effect is one event leads to another event that leads to another event. There was a young man, he was a superstar coming out of high school. Incredible football player, incredible baseball player. And I'm not saying just kind of incredible. He was being drafted for baseball by the MLB and he was being drafted by the NFL for football. 
He was so good that even in college he had a nickname and it began with Neon. His name was Dion. And Neon Dion was an elite athlete with elite abilities. In fact, there's a story told of him one time that he was in the draft room at the NFL and a team yelled to him, seeing him come down the hallway with his entourage. They said, hey, come on in here. We want to talk to you. And he looked in the room. He said, when y'all drafting? And they said, we're the seventh pick. He said, "Uh, no need to talk. I'll be long gone before that pick. I mean, he was full of swagger. He was full of energy. His game was flamboyant and his talent backed it up. For years, he played for multiple football teams. He also played for baseball teams. But if you know the story of Deion Sanders, he wrote a gospel track after his salvation experience explaining that there was one night he just wished as he was driving down the road to turn the wheel of his car and drive straight into a tree. The spotlight can do things. It can expose the greatness of someone, but it can also expose the character of someone because there's a domino effect. In fact, I think there's a really uh, kind of a, a cute slogan that Dion still, he wears his hoodie still today and it has it. He, he always was known for, he was known, if, if you're into style, young athletes here, I know you love all the bands and the armbands and the news. I mean, come on, when you get a new pair of sneakers, I don't care if you're in your 40s, you still feel better about yourself. You're like, look at that right? I mean, they're sweet, right? You look at them all day, remember? I mean, some of you kids, I know, forgive me for talking about school in summer, but you're going to go back to school and you're going to get your new pair of kicks to go back to school and you're going to be like, look at this. And I remember getting new basketball sneakers thinking, I am so much better tonight on the court. I am so much better because there's a domino effect to it. And Dion spoke of this. He said this, he said, if you look good, you feel good. Isn't it true? And if you feel good, you play good. And if you play good, they pay good. That's what he, he, was, he was known for saying. I mean, and he was a piece of work and I'm not speaking any more than that, but you will also find another reality to the spotlight. If you don't play good, if you don't do good, if you don't stay good, just ask an athlete playing in the city of Philadelphia what that's like. And it can get pretty lonely in the spotlight. And it can get pretty lonely at the pinnacle. One athlete bemoaning life in the spotlight who had become broke and lost everything after making hundreds of millions of dollars. He said, I had millions of friends, a thousand here, a thousand here. Whenever they come, they'd visit all the time. But when I ran out of money, I ran out of, quote, friends. The spotlight does things to not only the person in the spotlight, but to the people watching the person in the spotlight. And a lot of those things are what people refer to as why leaders end up being on an island. Have you ever heard that phrase, the leadership island? I've created a name for that island. And you say, of course you did, Chris. We expect you to, okay. I call it the Isle of Un. You say, why? why? Why is this the Isle of Un? Because when you're in a spotlight, and I don't care, you might say, I'm not, I'm not no 
NFL draft pick. I don't care if you're the captain of your baseball team in Little League. I don't care if you're mom or a dad. I don't care if you're the ringleader of your board game at the senior saint home. If you have some sort of platform, okay, you're in leadership. And how you behave in leadership will say a lot, not only about you, but who you really serve. And that island will expose that. For you will find in the leadership island, there's a lot of unjust speculation about why you're doing what you do from people who don't even know you. There's a lot of unfair criticisms for people who see you in your position and they may have been hurt by someone who had your position and they're putting that hurt onto you. Not only will they sometimes go at a leader on that island unfairly and criticize them, they will also sometimes target their family members. And on that island, you may also find that there's some undeserved animosity. That you pick up what the world young people refer to as what, right? Haters, right? But you pick up people who simply don't like you, not because they've ever met you and you did something, but because you represent something that bothers them. And therefore they attack it. The valley of unjust, unfair, undeserved, underappreciated, that, that island, if you will, I wanna call the island of un. And what is a child of God called to do if God gives them a platform? For Jesus gives platforms. Young person, you might not have a platform now, but have you ever thought, how do I wanna use a platform if God ever gives me one? Or how am I using my current platform? You will see that the enemy is on that island and he's telling you things like, you don't deserve this unfair treatment. You don't. You don't need this unjust criticism in your life. Do something else. And you'll also hear Jesus saying, hey, I know a lot of this is unfair, unjust, and undeserved, but I want you on that island that I've called you to, I want you to be uncommon. And that is our sermon today. Being uncommon in our following of Jesus Christ. And when he gives us a platform, responding in ways that are so different, the world is astonished by how we respond. The chapter is six. The gospel is Mark. The message is uncommon. Let's ask the Lord to bless our time in the word together. Heavenly Father, use this message today to encourage anyone on that island that might be just processing thoughts of quitting or stopping or getting someone back or seeking vengeance or, or voicing their frustrations or returning what someone's done to them or demanding their rights or claiming unfairness to, to think through why God has given them their platform and how they could leverage it better for Jesus. For we live in a society where people are stepping away from leadership positions at rapid rates because of the uncommon demands people are putting on platform leaders. Yet we need people standing up and sharing the good news of Jesus. 
And so may we encourage the Bible teacher. May we encourage the small group leader. May we encourage the FCA teenager. May we encourage that nonprofit ministry leader. May we encourage someone today to keep going when everything seems so un. And in doing so, be uncommon. We'll take our cues from you, Jesus. Therefore, we'll look to the word. In your name we pray, amen. Now, something interesting happens today. Jesus goes back home. Quick class, where is Jesus' home? Well, it would be Nazareth. Now, he had left Nazareth because he set up his ministry in Capernaum around the Sea of Galilee. And we've been watching him take boats back and forth from the Jewish side over to the Gentile territory. We've seen Jesus do mighty works and we've seen people respond to him. In fact, we've seen thousands and thousands and thousands respond to him. If there was ever a time Jesus was in the spotlight, it is this moment in the gospel of Mark. Crowds are flocking to him. There are women crawling through crowds just to touch his garments. There's guys carrying their paralytic friends up on top of roofs and letting them down. There's fathers running to him saying, help my daughter. There's demon-possessed people screaming at him. Everybody is coming to Jesus. And he goes, home, right? There's no place like home. I mean, that's got to be a good thing, right? Just to go home and get away from the crowd. I mean, you flew to Los Angeles, you nailed the contract, everybody knows your name, but now it's time to go back to Telford. (laughs) Scripture says this, he went from there and he came to his hometown and his disciples followed him. What do you know about Nazareth? It's little, uh, the prophet Nathaniel said, can anything good come from Nazareth? Why would he say such, a, a, such a, a, a demeaning thing about wonderful Nazareth? Well, Nazareth wasn't that wonderful. In fact, it was made off of caves along hillsides, archaeologists believe. As well as that, a lot of digs have kind of shown it might have only been around 60 acres total. That, that means there's people that are either watching online or in our church that own more acreage than Jesus' hometown. I mean, this was not that big. And at the time of Jesus, many believe, um, and, and there's no way of concrete knowing this, but it would have probably, with that size, probably only been around 500 people living there. That's less than what's in this room. And so this town is not that big. It's in fact very small. And they watched little Jesus grow up. They saw him follow Joseph around. He may have fixed someone's chair in their house. They watched him play with his brothers. They watched him play with his sisters. They watched how he came about his mother. Hello, risque. Got pregnant before she was married to Joseph. Said she was done by the Holy Spirit. Sure she was. That's what was going on. I mean, Mary had a stigma, a scarlet letter about her. Joseph grew up a carpenter and taught his son, most people, a builder or some sort of profession. And, and, and this is what he's going back to. How will they receive him? Oh, it's gonna be, it's gonna be great, right? Okay, let's look. So, so on the Sabbath, he began to teach in the synagogue. And many who heard him were, there it is, astonished, blown away. 
All right, let's read more of their reaction. Uh, Mark is always sharing the reaction. They said this, where did this man get these things? What is the wisdom given to him? How are such mighty works done by his hands? Scripture continues and says, and is this not the carpenter? The son of Mary and brother of James and Joseph and Judas and Simon? And are not his sisters here with us? I mean, are they not right here? And watch this. And they took offense to him. What? They took offense. It, it can come from a, a, a verb form of a word that can be traced even to almost like this, um, like almost like it was a scandalous thing he was doing. There was a, a questioning that was more like, where did he get this? What's going on here? There's something fishy, if you will. Nobody's this good. Even more so, there seems to be a, a little bit of an attack behind it. As if they're not only questioning it, this word can carry the idea of them being ashamed of him. It's almost like he makes them sick what he's doing. Mr. Popularity went out to Los Angeles and thinks he can come back here to Perkazy. And, and there's, a, there's a contempt. He's not being received. So I wrote down three reactions in his hometown that I noted that if you've ever felt these things, Jesus goes, yeah, 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 yep, yep, I've done that. Here's the first one, unjust speculations. He's done nothing to not say that he's not authentic and not truthful. Yet they're speculating. You know what happens with speculating. Where there is speculating, there's conspiracies. And where there's conspiracies, there's theories. And where there's theories, there's guesswork. And where there's guesswork, there's narratives. There's a domino effect speculation. And people walk around, they start making stuff up. I bet he's doing it this. I bet somebody this because we saw him. He wasn't trained under Gamaliel. He wasn't trained under some great rabbi. How did this guy in Nazareth do this? Can I ask you a quick question? Have you ever had somebody speculate your motives or methods that doesn't even know you and you heard about it? They've never even talked to you and you've heard about it. And somebody said to you, guess what somebody said about you? How do you typically respond? I mean, what would the common response be? What'd they say? They said this about you. Yeah, well, I don't see them standing here. They're pretty brave behind their computer. Is that the common response? Yeah, probably. Yeah, or, or oh yeah, well, who, where, who said it? Oh yeah, you know about them. Oh yeah, yeah. Or, or the whole phrase, oh, well, they're dead to me. <laughs> they're no longer alive. They're walking around, but I'm never gonna talk to them. I mean, those are the common responses we see in our society, right? How will Jesus respond? The second one I noted was unfair criticisms. I wanna point out something they said. Is not this a carpenter? They take a shot at his dad. And then they double down. In other times when Jesus is spoken of, they say, this is the son of Joseph. That was the typical way to introduce somebody during that time period, to introduce them as son of their father. We see it in the apostles being listed. Instead they go, is that not the son of Mary? In other words, 
Is not this just like a, a, a lonely worker guy with an illegitimate, he's an illegitimate child from his mother? Isn't that who this guy is? I mean, they're taking shots not only at him, but his family. So let me ask you, how do you handle it when you face unfair criticisms? And you hear that someone's criticizing you or criticizing your family. Now, many of us have some unwritten rules in our families. Here's one. Brothers are allowed to make fun of their sister. That's fine. They tease them all the time. But some dude from school makes fun of your sister? We got problems. Why? Because that's family, okay? We can tease each other, but we don't want to hear what some other family says about us. I mean, we have like these kind of unwritten rules in our society. Don't we kind of all know? Like, oh yeah, well, yeah, well, they criticize us. Well, let me tell you something about their garage. I mean, we're like, is this back and forth? Those are the common responses and people are used to it. How do you respond? How will Jesus respond? And then the third one I wrote down is undeserved animosity. They took offense to him. He came back to his hometown. You would at least think, hey, that's pretty cool he came back. Didn't forget his roots. I mean, that's pretty cool, right? No, it went the opposite. It was almost like, who does he think he is? Why is he represented? And they almost took a, a sense they were ashamed of him. They were upset with him and they didn't want to be almost associated with him. That's kind of the way they're behaving. So in Nazareth, his reception was, they were offended by Jesus. Offended by Jesus. I had a preacher say one time, another way of saying it was, they were embarrassed by Jesus. So let me ask our congregation and those watching online, have you ever been offended by Jesus? Has there ever been a time you were embarrassed because you were associated with Jesus? Has there ever been a time you've wanted to leave out the fact that you were a follower of Jesus? Because note this, you can say you love God. Have you ever noticed that? You can even say, I love the Lord. You drop that guy's name, it's a different response. It's almost like there's just something about that name. It's the name above all names. It's the name that at every knee will bow before, whether voluntarily or involuntarily one day. It is the name of our Savior who loved us children of God, while we were unlovable, while we were yet sinners. And that's why if you're an unbeliever of Jesus and the name of Jesus is kind of an offense to you and you get kind of like annoyed with people of faith and you kind of try to put them in like a compartment, like they're a radical or they're a weirdo or something. They're just crazy people, okay? Um, the reason that is, is because there's something about Jesus that is offensive or unfortunately, and this happened so many times, there was a leader who represented Jesus to you and they failed you miserably. And so you have all that pain you're carrying and you put it on other Christians or even other people in the spotlight who represent Jesus thinking there's no way they won't be just like them. But for us children of God who love Jesus, here's one of the ways you know you love Jesus. When people unjustly speculate that Jesus 
isn't for real, it bothers you. It's why we get a little worked up. Forgive us, we're immature at times. When we hear our most favorite person in the world questioned, we're like, you're questioning me if you're questioning him. He's family to me. He's my best friend. You know you love Jesus and you're not ashamed of Jesus. When someone mocks his name, you don't find it funny. It's not cute. It's not a ha-ha to you. It hurts you. You might as well have just made fun of my dad with him standing here. That's why children of God react and we gotta catch ourselves. We gotta catch ourselves sometimes because we love that name so much. And that's why children of God, when they hear people disagreeing that Jesus' way is the best way, they get all worked up because they realize what that person is lacking. For without Jesus, you have nothing except other human beings to put your hope in. And I don't know about you, but I've lived enough time on earth to not put my hope in human beings. And let me encourage you, if anybody's putting your hope in me, just ask Rebecca whether you should do that, okay? <laughs> Unjust speculation, unfair criticism, undeserved animosity, offended in his hometown. So Jesus said, forget you, I'm out of here, right? No, 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 no. That would be the common response to a leader that got rejected in their hometown. That would be the common thing to do. Well, you know what? I'll go back to LA where everybody likes me, Telford, Percocet. That would be the common response. Instead, Jesus says, a prophet is not without honor. A prophet gets honor. A prophet gets respect. When people, he sees somebody that has abilities, they're astonished by, they talk highly of them. Everyone does, he basically says, except in his hometown and among his relatives and in his own household. Any moms out there who go into the office and have a big presentation at four o'clock and you do this awesome presentation, it's incredible. People are like, whoa, she is going places in this business. She's gonna be a future business leader. She get, you get in the car, ladies, you, get in the car, you start that car, you start driving home and, and you can't wait for the red carpet of your family to celebrate you and you walk in your house, you're such a success, you open the door and they go, what's dinner? Mom, how long you be? And reality sets in real quick. You're awesome everywhere, except the living room or the kitchen or whatever they want from you, right? Mom, 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 hun, 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 hun. Prophet is not without honor. Sometimes the people closest to us appreciate us the least. And the people closest to Jesus underappreciated what they had in his hometown, his household, and his relatives. And he could do no mighty work there except that he laid his hands on a few sick people and healed them. There was no gonna be no mighty work there because there wasn't faith there. There was nothing but unbelief. In fact, at this time period, his own brothers and sisters are unbelievers. We know what happens to James. He writes us a book. But at this point, his own sisters and brothers don't even believe in him in his hometown. He's underappreciated. It's Barclay who writes, sometimes we are too near people to see their greatness. 
It's McGee who writes, an expert. Do you know what an expert is? An expert is just an ordinary fellow, but from another town. And watch what Mark says. He notes something that Jesus is astonished by. And Jesus marveled at their unbelief. Like, it's unbelievable. I grew up here. I mean, they watched me. Yeah, we watched him. He was working with his father. One time when he was like 12, he ran off, didn't even tell where his mom went, went to the temple to teach people. We knew about that kid. He marveled at their unbelief. He marveled at their unbelief. Jesus found himself on the Isle of Un. Pretty lonely being in your hometown and having everybody, fortunately except mom, not believe in you. For Mary pondered all those things in her heart. And maybe at the time of this, Joseph had already moved on to be with the Lord. But here on the Isle of Un, Jesus is treated with unjustified speculation, unfair criticisms, and undeserved, undeserved animosity. If you ever get a spotlight, you will find that those are the things that often happen. Some consequences of poor behavior and leadership. But for today's context, I wanna talk about the times when you get it even when you don't deserve it. I don't like that guy. Have you ever met him? No, just don't like him. I don't like the way he walks. Huh, okay. So just because you saw him, yeah, I can tell. Oh, okay, you can tell. Yep, I know about that guy. It happens all the time. And especially if you're in the spotlight, coaches, teachers, administrators, people who put themselves out there in leadership, seeking to get to the pinnacle of what God's called them to. Prayerfully, that's their motive. Either way, it's coming. It happened to Jesus, and it's gonna happen if you choose to do anything that maneuvers you up the rock. So, so what do I do? Am I just stuck on the island then and that's just the way life is gonna be? Well, that's what's so neat about this passage. Jesus comes along, he says, I, I wanna offer a different approach on that island. I want you to be uncommon in how you handle pushback. And it's this neat moment in the gospel of Mark where he goes from multitudes, it seems, to going, all right, come here, come here, you leaders, come here. He goes from the crowds to, all right, guys, time to train. And he calls his disciples. But here he is in this moment of all this injustice and, and everybody in that position is hearing, just quit, you don't need this. In fact, sometimes our family members will amp it up. They'll be like, you really don't need this. This is what we signed up for. If they're gonna be this ungrateful, forget it. And you're getting all this un, unjust, unfair, and, and other people are, and, and you're like, I, I don't know what to do. I wanna challenge you, be uncommon. You know what Jesus did when he got all that un? He went around to the other villages. He just kept moving. He went about the villages, and I love this. It doesn't say he went about the cities. Jesus wasn't afraid to go to the small towns. Not just the cities, he kept moving. 
even if it meant a smaller crowd, he would go to another crowd and he went to the villages, scripture tells me. I put an uncommon leader. What, what kind of leaders are on the uncommon island? Undeterred ones, undeterred. Jesus has asked them to do something. They can sense it's God's will. They back it up with the scripture. They've had godly people affirm it. And despite the feedback, they're undeterred. And he went about the villages teaching. And he called the 12 and he began to send them out two by two. Hey guys, come here. He's calling them. And he gave them authority over unclean spirits. He charged them. Take nothing for the journey except the staff. He, he went on, he said, no, no bread, no bag, no money in their belts, but to wear sandals and to put on, not to put on two tunics. Okay, Jesus getting very specific here. It, it seems that Jesus wants his uncommon leaders to be undeterred and unencumbered. Take nothing for the journey except a staff. Well, staff, that's what what shepherds use, a staff. This is the way to serve and protect. Take a staff. Take a staff. And and then take one tunic. Take one. Yeah, yeah, one tunic. Why not two? In Jewish custom, they would take two tunics. Do you know why? One to wear and one to use as a blanket or a bed. Jesus is saying, we're going to keep moving. I just want one tunic and a pair of sandals. Now, in the other gospel accounts, it says, don't take sandals. I truly believe it was speaking of different times where this call was to wear sandals and the other calls were possibly simply saying, don't take a second pair, take one pair. We're going to keep moving. They're going to be unencumbered by the things of the world. I sometimes believe that one of the the tricky things the devil sometimes does to people in the spotlight is he gives them so many belongings they aren't light on their feet anymore. And, and, And stuff can really become a distraction. So Jesus says, I want you to stay unencumbered. One tunic, a staff, and sandals. So on, on Uncommon Island, we see undeterred disciples and we see unencumbered disciples. And he said to them, whenever you enter into a house, stay there until you depart from there. He continued and he said, and if any place will not receive you and they will not listen to you, I want you to get really nasty and get out in the streets and start yelling at people and say, you gotta do it my way. Leave, just leave. And when you leave, shake off the dust that is on your feet as a testimony against them. What? And they left and they cast out many demons and anointed with oil many who were sick and healed them. They had a massive, massive ministry. Jesus wanted them to be undeterred, unencumbered and unshakable. In Jewish custom, when they would go into Gentile territory, they considered it a place of the pagans. And so when they would leave, they'd come back and kind of wash their sandals. Get that off of them. Jesus took that custom. He gave it a little more power. And he said, I want you to shake off the dust of your sandals when someone unfairly 
unjustly and undeservedly is rejecting you and being cruel to you and cursing your name and what you stand for and all this stuff, I want you to shake off the dust and I want you to keep moving. On the island of uncommon, you're gonna find undeterred disciples, unencumbered disciples, and unshakable disciples. Because common says, when somebody says something to me, I'm gonna go say something to them. Common says, did you hear what happened to so-and-so? Yeah, well, let me tell you about so-and-so. That's common, but uncommon keeps moving, stays on mission, stays focused, doesn't get weighed down by a bunch of details, locked on to what Jesus has for them and continues to move forward. Why? Because the enemy loves to creep in in all those unmoments with quit. When God might really want to use you in that place where you're getting all that on to be uncommon. He may really want to use you during this season of your sport team where you're getting nothing but un to make you uncommon. He might be using you in your family where all you ever get from your brothers and sisters is un. He might be using you there to be uncommon. But a decision has to be made. Am I going to do things my way or am I going to do things the way Jesus would want me to do them? And that don't preach too well alongside the American gospel. That says, I'm going to get mine. I'm going to stand for mine. You don't touch me. It doesn't go very parallel. Because Jesus is living for another kingdom. Well, I'm not saying I don't love living in this country. But what I am saying is we've got to be careful to not read the Bible through our filter of what we think we deserve. When Jesus deserved none of the treatment he was giving, when Jesus was completely handled unjustly, and when Jesus was completely unfairly killed for what he stood for. There's two kinds of leaders There's leaders that make splashes and there's leaders that make waves. It's not my own. I got it from Dr. Tim Elmore who writes a book called The Art of Spiritual Leadership. Our pastoral staff is going through it for our devotions weekly. And and one of the things we really enjoyed was um, one specific chapter that said, uh, many leaders step on a platform and simply make a splash. But anyone can do that. Nothing changes. Life-giving leaders make waves. Their work and words ignite movements that mobilize team members to become the best versions of themselves. Splash leaders, you've probably seen them, he writes, on the stage. They've got gimmicks, they've got some guts, they've got tricks up their sleeve. Their goal is definitely to impress the crowd and entertain. They yearn for an audience to like them. Wave makers are leaders who make waves actually fostering genuine life change. It isn't about the momentary laughter at a conference or a meeting. It's about moving people from one place to another. They catalyze permanent transformation. By creating environments, they equip people to actually live life differently. I like this one statement where it says, wave leaders leave an impact that keeps going. You may have been splashed in a pool. You might get splashed in a pool this week. It's temporary. But if you're down in Ocean City, you get hit by a wave. You feel that. 
I've actually been knocked under the water by a wave because a wave has the ability to move people. This past week was our day camp. Over 150 teenagers got on top of that submarine for the picture. It was a neat submarine. It was a great underwater year and it was an awesome camp. But it couldn't help but make me think about how this all got started when I heard someone say, how does your church get all those teenagers to take a week of their summer and invest into children? Well, there's a wave maker and his name was Tim. He was a youth pastor at our church and he thought it would be awesome if we got the teenagers to run day camp because no offense adults, we're not cool to kids. We're old people. They're tall adults to kids and they're awesome and they're cool to them. And when they do motions, kids do motions. When they run, they run. When they go, this was great, they they say, this is great. And over time, a culture gets built. And he said, let's get the teens to help and let's build our youth ministry by serving. And so each summer when I would come home from college to my youth pastor, he'd say, Chris, help me with the day camp thing theme this year. And one year we were building a helicopter for the kids up here on the hillside. The camp back then was called Camp of the Living Word. My wave maker youth pastor said, let's start calling it day camp because that sounds more fun to come to. And during that one summer, he said, Chris, you know, you ever think about coming and working in local ministry. He goes, I know you work at a camp and camps are awesome. We love camps. We support camps. We got lots of camp directors that are part of our church. He said, but Chris, your gifting and calling I can see in your life would really emulate well in a local ministry setting. He goes, I want you to pray about that. And my youth pastor, who I did not treat that well in high school, invited me to come back and do an internship. And he kind of gave me control of the theme the following year at day camp. And what's kind of remarkable about that is that it was a sub-theme. Now it's gonna look a little different. I'm gonna show you the sub-theme in 2000 when I did my internship. Here, here it is, okay? <laughs> we were blown away by that television in the front, by the way. That was exceptional technology. <laughs> and duct tape. But for the past 20-some years, we've been doing day camp with teenagers, with a culture of serving kids and giving them a laboratory for ministry that was birthed out of my youth pastor who kind of gave me the keys and said, hey, go big with it if you want to. And we moved into the main auditorium and built a submarine there against the sacrilegious behavior that we were doing, against sometimes really difficult times, against sometimes when uh, the teens kind of represented us so poorly we had to set up meetings after camp. Uh, There was lots of different struggles. And during the time period, there was some undeserved unjust, unfair things said, but we always knew our focus was to bring honor and glory to Jesus Christ by using the next generation to serve the next generation and to build a culture of young people serving the Lord instead of themselves right here in Percocet. I remember that year coming out in the sub and I had an 11th grader in the crowd. I said, hey, come dressed up like Gilligan. I'm gonna ask you to jump out like Gilligan's Isle thing. And so that 11th grader was Mike Nice. And he came out, Mr. Mike, as an 11th grader, as Gilligan, and I was Captain Chris. 
I called over to my drummer who was in middle school and I said, Gabe, who is Pastor Tim's son in seventh grade. I said, every time I tell a joke, I want you to go, doo-doo, and now he's our worship leader here on Sundays. There was two second graders that ran through the sub that year. One was Adam and one was Kenton. They're now our tech and audio ministry guys backstage. Kenton hit his head on a two by four inside the sub because everything I built wasn't necessarily safe. We have better people now. <laughs> but God established something back then from my youth pastor, Tim Vanderstel, to say, we're gonna do something that's not just gonna make a splash, but it's gonna make a wave. And we did something uncommon. And I got to be a part of his wonderful vision that God gave him that is still playing a role here even to this past week. But unfortunately, pastors like Pastor Tim and many other pastors are going through very difficult seasons right now in our society. Did you know the statistics on pastors are not really good right now? Just to name a few that recently came out due to the complexity of what's going on in 2020 in the past few years, did you know that pastoring now has one of the top three suicide rates of any profession? 97% of pastors have been betrayed, falsely accused, or hurt by others that they trusted. 70% of pastors are battling depression. 7,000 churches close each year, and 1,500 pastors quit each month. Only 10% of pastors will retire a pastor. And so, I wanna conclude today's message with a little encouragement I try to give to pastors when I get asked to speak because I'm kind of a, a uncommon leader in the fact that I got my diapers changed by this church. <laughs> I, I came to that building and grew up here a Penridge graduate who lived in a row home on 9th Street. And I really know what it's like to have an awesome congregation, an incredible congregation. And I pray for Renew Bible will always be a congregation that gives interns a chance to grow, that gives pastors second chances because they're humans, not machines, that expects much of them, but encourages them and your pastoral staff feels dearly loved by Renew Bible Church. And so one of our roles, we feel, is to go out to pastors at times who don't feel that same love and encourage them. And so I wanna write, I wanna just share with you, and if any leader in here is just discouraged or in a difficult spot, I don't care what your platform is, how small or how big, I want you to consider just a couple phrases that I've used and that people have given to me to help me through the times when I wanna react commonly to be uncommon. They're all rooted in scripture, take them for what it's worth, but if there's anybody listening here today that's ready to hang it up, before you let the devil possibly win, always remember, when you're battling whether you should leave something, the devil entices you with things the shepherd will lead you. And when the shepherd leads you, he leads by peaceful waters. The shepherd may lead you into scary things, but he know, you know he's going with you. The devil says it'll be better over here. If we just do this, it'll be good. But God's will is not a destination. It's an attitude. Rejoice always, pray always, thank always. Why? That's God's will for you. 
And so always remember how he leads, but keep these phrases that I use in my head at times uh, when the feedback is sometimes discouraging. I call it shake off the dust. Here's the first question. What do you do or how do you respond when someone's unjustly questioning you? Sometimes you get justifiable questions, but what do you do when that's not true of you and somebody is spraying out? What, what do you do? Here's a phrase I like to say in my head. Don't take it to heart. What? Don't take it to heart. What do you mean? Ecclesiastes. Do not take to heart all the things that people say, lest you hear your servant cursing you because your heart knows that many times you yourself have cursed others. Don't take it to heart, you've made the same mistake. You've been frustrated with leadership before and have said things you don't really mean. Don't take it to heart. Why? Because the enemy wants you to take it to heart. And that's why scripture says, good sense makes one slow to anger and it is his glory to overlook the offense. In other words, you gain respect by overlooking an offense. What does overlook mean? It means to pass over it to forgive it. Hey, look, I'm not going to take that to heart. Uncommon leaders know when to overlook something. Common leaders, every time they're attacked, they go to Twitter or something like that. Hey, you know what? Somebody said this about me. I'll just say this about them. And they go back and they like back and forth, back and forth. And that's not how Jesus responded. Can you imagine if he did? You know, somebody came in and like Pastor Chris heard that somebody said something bad with him. And he like went out in the floor. He's like, you got something to say? I mean, I really respect that guy. That's common leadership. Uncommon leadership doesn't take it to heart. Second thing, when that happens, hey, another phrase, don't scratch your ears. Anybody closest to me knows that's kind of a funny thing because I got this little nervous tick. When I get a little pressure, I start scratching my ears. So I tell myself, don't scratch your ears, okay? But, but here's the point. Second Timothy says, the time will come when people will not endure sound teaching. But having itching ears, they will accumulate themselves teachers to suit their own passions. As the time draws near, audiences aren't gonna wanna hear the truth. And they will collect for themselves speakers who say what they want them to say. Don't scratch your ears. Whatever your ears are, whatever your audience is, don't scratch them. You speak for Jesus and for his approval only. Because when you're getting feedback, it's tempting sometimes to go, I'm gonna make everybody happy. I'm gonna make everybody, and when you make everybody happy, you make nobody happy. Don't scratch your ears. Scripture says, for now, am I seeking the approval of man or of God? Or am I trying to please man? If I were trying to please man, would I still be a servant of Christ? And that includes when people are calling you soft for not saying something, when people are calling you weak, you need to go to God and say, am I doing what you're calling me to do? Because I'm being tempted on both sides by my audiences. I get bullied both ways, you might say, as a communicator. So which crowd am I gonna please? My appeal would be neither. Go to the Lord and say, God, what do you want me to do? Because at the end of the day, that's who you answer. So what about this one? Just my second, I only have three. How do you respond when someone is unfairly criticizing you? Here's a phrase, here's a phrase, say this. Don't let the devil win. If you go to Renew Bible, you've heard me say this before. You're not fighting that person. You're fighting the enemy. We don't fight against flesh and blood people. We fight against rulers and authorities of the unseen world, against mighty powers in this dark world and against evil spirits in heavenly places. God wants you angry at another child of God. Excuse me, that's a terrible way to say that. The devil wants you angry at another child of God. Delete that. 
The devil wants you mad at somebody else that's a child of God because he can get a root of bitterness in you. And look what scripture says. Don't let the devil win. Be angry and don't sin. Don't let the sun go down on your anger and do not give the devil a foothold. Uncommon leaders, no. The devil wants me to hate that person to get angry at that person so that a root of bitterness grows in me. I'm not gonna let it go. I'm not gonna let the devil win. The real root of the problem is the enemy's using that person to get to me and I can't let that happen. I'm taking the fight away. I'm not gonna let the devil win. But, but, is that all, all you do? Here's another phrase for you. I say this, don't spar for a jar. There's gonna be people that say things about your appearances online that don't even know you. There's gonna be people who take shots at you that don't even know you. There might be people who make fun of your hairstyle. Look at that. <laughs> don't spar for a jar. Don't ever defend your jar. It's a waste of time. They, pulled, they called the apostle Paul ugly. But we have this treasure in jars of clay to show that the passing jar belongs to God, not to us. Don't spar for your jar. When you hear somebody taking shots at your looks or whatever, if you're in front of a microphone or you're in a class or even a student, teacher students can be so mean. Don't spar for your jar. And, then finally, and the second one I say to this one, the Lord sees not as a man sees. Man looks on the outward appearance. The Lord knows my heart and the Lord knows yours. Then the third question, how do you respond when someone's harshly attacking you? This is difficult and this happens, especially in our society. There are people that are online simply just to attack somebody. I don't know any pastor among my friends who has not been called a false teacher online by somebody. Not one of my pastoral friends. Everybody's experienced that because they'll say any interpretation that disagrees with them, therefore you're a false teacher. And they do not understand what a false teacher actually is in scripture. It's not someone who has a little bit different view of an interpretation of passage. It's someone who's using the pulpit for three specific things. That's another sermon. So what do you do? Well, don't mourn a thorn. Paul said, to keep me from becoming proud, I was given a thorn in the flesh, a messenger from Satan to torment me and keep me from being proud. I'll tell you what, I remember one year of youth ministry, I swear there was a kid who came just to make my year horrible. <laughs> I mean, I'm like, I don't even wanna serve anymore. I just know what's gonna happen. Don't mourn a thorn, why? Because look why the thorn was sent and allowed by God. To protect that person in leadership from being arrogant kept them humble. The constant undeserved attacks kept them humble. And so instead of bemoaning the spotlight, you say, it's gonna happen here. God, I need grace. And so you pray in those moments, vindicate me, O God, and defend my cause against ungodly people. From the deceitful and unjust man, please deliver me. Uncommon leaders know not to vindicate themselves. And you will often find when you don't try to vindicate yourself, there'll be people who rise up around you that defend you, that God uses as advocates for you instead of taking matters into your own hands. And then finally, there's a silly one in scripture almost. Don't wrestle the pigs. I was told in leadership, don't get in the mud with a, with a pig. You both get muddy and the pig liked it. Just remember that. 
Now, you might be in the pig in the situation, so be careful there, but don't wrestle them. Matthew 7, 6, don't waste what's holy on people who are unholy. Don't throw your pearls to the pigs. They'll trample the pearls and they'll turn and attack you. You get to a point where you've done everything you can to live at peace. But if someone is determined to attack you ruthlessly, there comes a point where you have to shake off the dust and keep going. The enemy might just be trying to get you to quit. And so finally, remember this verse. Nehemiah said to two guys yelling at him and mocking him and joking and screaming his name and calling everyone weak on the wall. He said, I'm doing a great work and I cannot come down. Why should the work stop while I leave it and come down to you? Nehemiah, the definition of an uncommon leader. My encouragement to anybody in ministry, anybody trying to serve the Lord, and you find yourself on the Isle of Un, before you quit, remember, there are disciples on that island that Jesus is calling to be undeterred, unencumbered, and unshakable. Because of their strength? No, because of his And he calls us out and he asks us to do a mighty work for him. And sometimes those mighty works demand you being in the spotlight. I pray the domino effect will be one of uncommon leadership instead of common. This week, whatever age you are in the room, when treatment comes that you have an immediately response for, Think, what would the uncommon thing to do here be? And ask Jesus to use that as a testimony. Nobody responds that way when someone does that. What do they know that I don't know? And in doing so, you might even welcome the criticism. Heavenly Father, use your word today to encourage anyone out there who's in a difficult season where they feel discouraged by something that they would argue is unjust and undeserved or unfair. I pray you would show yourself to them. Tell them to grab their staff and keep walking. But don't forget to shake off the dust when it's someone they're simply not gonna be able to get across and trust that with you. That you heard what they said, you saw what they did, you saw what they wrote, you saw who joined up, And he saw how that leader uncommonly responded. We'll pray this thing wanting to be like Jesus.